Coming to you live from the studios in Mount Prospect, Mark Button and Chris Laporta in the Breakfast Balls Podcast. Nailed it. Talk about our buddy uh, Billy Grant. Um, Instagram at Billy Grant Golf. We we were talking on IG and he agreed to come on the podcast. Um, so you know we tried we tried about two hundred people before him. Yeah, so Billy's the first lucky victim to actually participate in what many would not call, but we call an interview. Um, and boy, were we surprised! He is a um, bundle of joy. And glad we're able to get him on the podcast. Did you just call him a bundle of joy? <laughs> I did. I ran out of ran out of thoughts. Um, yeah, that's yeah. Uh, I was going to say he's a diamond in the rough, man. That dude is funny. I still think he's a bundle of joy. Okay, <laughs> a bundle of joy, Billy, the bundle of joy. I think that might stick. It's yeah, it's it's on. It's stuck. Anyway, it's stuck. yeah, Billy, small town kid. Um, uh, self-made, uh, self-taught in golf, made his way up to being his own PGA professional. Um, now living the life in California, um, and now able to do his own thing as a stay-at-home dad and uh, Instagram influencer, if you will. Yeah, he's getting there, man. He's got he's got some good stuff going on now. He's got the. Uh... Uh, what's he doing now during the quarantine? The quarantine, the quarantine open. Yeah, yeah, pretty funny stuff. I, um, I just love when he puts the uh, the questions out there. I answer every <laughs> one of them. Yeah. So here is our two part. We had a, so we had a long conversation with Billy. Like I don't think we expected to last. I think we had we talked for about two and a half hours. Oh, and again, at least bundle of joy. Yeah, awesome. We talked for about two and a half hours. We ha- our episode range is about twenty five to forty minutes. We try to keep it in that range. I had to cut this down to two like thirty to thirty five minute segments or or episodes, I should say. So we've got part one and part two, which will be released uh, with our conversation, or as Mark would call it, our interview with Billy Grant at Billy Grant Golf. Yeah. So for those of you that. Uh actually follow us and don't follow Billy. Yeah. Here's your chance. Uh, follow Billy Grant. Um, dude's phenomenal. And his cigar game is, is pretty cool too. I want to preface, um, my golf story by saying a couple different things. I, I, what's it's really funny because, I've been, I've been playing for 31 years. I started when I was 12 years old. I'm 43 now. Um, okay. And when you play for that long, you get asked that question quite a bit. 
like when did you start playing and why and all the the details and I think I've been telling the story wrong and actually I know I've been telling the story wrong and this <laughs> this is one of those things and I don't know if it's starting to happen to you guys but my youth is getting a little fuzzy um, <laughs> as I get older and somebody asked me a question about something, I got to really sit down and fucking think about it. And like, <laughs> it's like shit. And if I'm at a party or something and somebody asked me something and I answer spontaneously, I walk away going, I don't know what I just said. <laughs> so <laughs> so I've, yeah. I've done a few podcast interviews in the past and, and the kind of sidebar, I hope I'm not a Madden jinx kind of the Madden cover because none of those podcasts still exist. So if you want to stop recording oh, now, I understand. Um, <laughs> oh man. You should have told us that before we started. Yeah. I should have told you that after you posted it. Um, so here's, here's the kind of the, the false narrative and the truth, the, the truth and the lie, if you will. I used to tell this story um, when I was 12 years old, my I, I'm raised by a single mother um, of six kids. I'm one six, so that was kind of crazy. But my mom bought me a set of golf clubs at a garage sale um, when I was 12, and brought them home and said, "Here, let's you should play golf." And that's okay. That's awesome. So the story I used to tell is I would go, she worked part-time at a country club and I, they used to let me hit balls for free. And I used to go there and stand on the end of the range and watch my friend's dads hit balls. And I kind of copied and emulated their movements and really learned how to slice the ball and hook the ball. Cause that's all that they did. They were none of them very good. Um, and that's kind of how I learned to play. So that's all a complete and utter fabrication. None of that actually happened. And I've been telling that story for so long. And I'm like, one day it hit me. The math doesn't add up. Because when my mom worked at that country club, I was like seven years old. (laughs) (laughs) So so I am a big liar. And I, I think it's just part of age that's gotten to me that point where I'll tell a story. It's like, shit, that wasn't right. That wasn't right at all. So I'm trying to write the ship here because people need to know the truth about how I grew up playing the game. My mom did come home from work one day when I was 12 years old. She had a set of golf clubs that she bought a garage sale. All true. There was a nine hole golf course that was kind of local um, that let me play for free. They did not have a driving range. Um, so I went out and played golf with my buddy's dad's and my buddies themselves um, and learned how to play that way. I watched them play. So the, the basics of the story are the same. Um, the way it kind of happened is a little, a little different than what I used to tell it. So I didn't have the golf golf digest. I didn't have the golf channel. We didn't have a local PGA professional. Um, honest. It was watching these old men curve the ball 30 yard plus yards left to right, right to left. That's the way I thought, you know, the game was supposed to be played. And these guys would hit that one shot and they would say that one phrase, ah, that dreaded straight ball. And I I honestly took that as shit. I'm not supposed to hit the ball straight. So 
I learned how to curve it and I got pretty good at it. And by the time I was in high school, I was a pretty low single digit, probably a four or five handicap. And, but there was nothing for me to play in. We didn't have, I grew up in the middle of the country in a very rural part of, of, uh, United States and we didn't have junior competitions. There was no high school golf where I went to high school. Um, so I really didn't start competing until into my early twenties. Um, see, I know you talked about how you, uh, you got into golf, uh, as a kid. So in not really having any tournaments to play. And so how did you then get into maybe more of a competitive golf or once you got in your twenties, how did you sure. find a way to stay in the game? Sure. Well, so I tried um, when I got out of high school, I, I actually tried to be a college football player. Um, I, was a, I was a pretty good um, high school quarterback. Um, I went and I tried to play, but I, I had a hard time mixing the social, the educational and the athletic part of it all together. Um, and it just didn't work out. So when I was 20 when I was 20 turning 21, I was at home. Um, I lived with my girlfriend that had just graduated high school. We were working, you know, waiting tables and bartending and doing various jobs. And we had one of the worst winters in recorded history. Uh, it just blasted snow. It was awful. It was awful. And I said, I'm absolutely finished. And I think I was sitting in a bar um, with a buddy, how, you know, a lot of stories begin where we come from sitting in a bar, probably how this podcast began for you should move to a place where you can play full time and maybe become a golf professional or try to play for a living or, or whatever. And, you know, I toyed with the idea and then, uh, I remember sitting on a Sunday in a bowling alley bowling with some friends and watching on the TVs. It was the masters and a guy my age was blowing away the competition. Um, we all know who that was. And I thought, man, that's pretty fucking cool. And that conversation that I had with that guy at that bar. Yeah, I'm going to go do this. So I picked up my girlfriend and we literally moved to San Diego um, in three days and decided I was going to be a golf professional. Um, when I got to San Diego, um, I realized that I wasn't very good. <laughs> very <laughs> cool. pretty, pretty quickly. The first event I decide to play in down there is the San Diego City Amateur. Um, I think I was a two handicap um, coming from wow. where I was from. Wow. Um, the golf courses are very different. First time I was introduced to houses on a golf course, I'd never seen that before because we're from the golf courses are in the middle of nowhere and it's wide open prairies and there's that's, that's awesome. Um, these aren't these aren't cheap houses. These are correct. You don't want to hit correct, and it's very intimidating. Yeah. And I, um. I'd never seen greens that fast. There were just a whole bunch of different things. And then I'd never played with guys that were that good. And I end up playing with, um, I make it through the, um, the gross part of the competition. So you go shoot 
metal play and then you get ranked into a bracket. I made it through metal play somehow and I made it into the match play bracket and just got my ass handed to me. I, I don't even, I don't remember what the score was, but it wasn't even close. And I played with somebody that was, he was unbelievable and he was a zero handicap, but his zero compared to my two was just worlds apart. So right there, my, my playing dream. Yeah. Just based on, just based on from where you guys were playing at, right. He probably played in San Diego his whole life or that area. And you, you play. Correct. In the and the, the pedigree was different. These are guys yeah. that have been playing competitive golf since they were eight years old and playing in AJGA yeah. and playing in West Coast tournaments and high school golf. And they're being, you know, they're either played college golf or they're being recruited for college golf. And it's just like, okay, I, I need to rethink my strategy. Um, hang on a minute, Tiger. I'll be right there. So, <laughs> so I decided <laughs> my best um, – maybe foyer or the best way for me to get better is to work in the business because I'll have access to practice facilities. I'll have access to equipment. Um, so when I first got into the, the business of golf, it was, it was to become a tour player. It was to kind of open up those doors that were really closed to me or cost a lot of money I didn't have. Um, so I got a job at a, at, a, at a club and then I got another job at a club and I bounced around different clubs, working different things. I was trying to decide, you know, if the playing thing didn't work out, where was I going to land? Was I going to be a teaching professional? Was I going to be in golf course maintenance? Was I going to be in food and beverage? I mean, really, uh, I, I liked everything about the golf business at the time and I just didn't know where I fit, where was my niche. So I worked a bunch of different jobs at different clubs and played a lot as I was going. Cause I was a single guy and uh, I could, I could do that and bounced around Southern California quite a bit. And eventually I went broke in California and I had a friend that lived in Arizona. Um, my best friend growing up lived there and he said, you know, he had a room available and he said, why don't you come live with me? So I packed up my stuff and I moved to, Arizona and I got a job at a small golf course uh, working as an assistant and so you've uh, so you've ditched the girlfriend by this point right uh she ditched me so yeah, that's so <laughs> I mean if you really want to go <laughs> off on a tangent here this it's kind of an interesting story because we moved to we moved down there and we rent this little house this little cottage style house and really I thought it was I thought she was the one and, you know, you know, all of that teenage lovebird shit that doesn't really happen in real life. I thought she was the one and three months in 90 days in we're there. And I come home from a long day at work and practice and whatever I walk in the door and she looks at me and she says, I'm leaving. And I just kind of said, cool. When are you, you going to be back? And then I look around and they're, her bags are packed and they're by the front door. And she goes, no, I'm, I'm, I'm leaving. I'm going to live with my, my mom. And I'm like, uh, okay. <laughs> so, completely heartbroken. I sat alone in this little house, um, 
depressed, drunk, um, whatnot. And then I turn on the news and this is so for time frame reference and also this week reference, um, I call this hell week, by the way, this is my first into adulthood. You have to go through some fire sometimes to get on the other side. And this is the very first time I burned. Yeah. So Columbine high school, that the horrible tragedy, the shooting that happened at Columbine high school in Colorado, my aunt and uncle live very near Columbine high school and they had a teenage daughter at the time. And I knew she went there. So I see this on, yeah, I see this on TV. So I start making phone calls. I can't get a hold of them. Um, I'm stressed out. I finally get a call back from one of my relatives and said, no, they actually transferred her to a different school because she was hanging out with those kids. Okay. So walk down to the Seven Eleven, grab another fifth of Jack Daniels, head back to the house. I'm, I'm losing my mind. I lived in a very um, culturally diverse neighborhood, AKA my girlfriend and I were the one of two Caucasian households in the whole community, which was fine. And I actually learned that that was, that was an awesome time in my life. But the guys that lived across the street were just two. Um, they were uh, buddies that went to college together. And when they graduated college, they got jobs and they rent, they rented this house across the street. So the very next day after Columbine high school, I see, I wake up and I go outside and there are cops all over my neighborhood. Squad cars everywhere. They've got police tape. It's crazy. One of them saw me, came over, interviewed me about one of my neighbors, one of my buddies. And his name was Billy. And we had a lot in common. Um, we were planning a snowboarding trip later that winter. Um, I considered him to be a friend. I had no idea what was going on. I know he had a past with, with drugs. Um, so I just figured, okay, Billy was dealing, he got busted, whatever. All the cops kind of finally go away and I go over there and one of the neighbors is sitting on the patio or he's his roommate sitting on the patio. His name was Ron. And I say, Ron, what's going on? And he goes, well, Billy got arrested. And I said, what did he do? And he goes, um, last night he went over to his mother and his stepdad's house and he killed his stepdad with an ice pick. Fuck. Let me just, Jesus. Yeah. Let me just let that resonate for a minute. And when I say ice pick, I'm not, not one of the, um, like ice picks that you would use on ice in your freezer and, uh, a climbing pick that would use to like do ice climbing. So like, it looks like a, a pickaxe, right? Yeah. I, I guess what happened was, um, you know, he used to abuse his stepdad used to abuse him and his mother um, when he was a kid, whatever. And he, they were having problems and, and Billy called um, them and said, I'm coming over there and I'm going to kill you both. And his mom got scared and left the house and his stepdad stayed there and he showed up 15 minutes later and put a pickaxe through his head. Um, started to drive to Mexico, pulled over into a gas station, saw a cop sitting there and said, Hey, um, you need to arrest me. I just killed my stepdad. So my girlfriend left me. Columbine high school shooting happened. My neighbor's a, a murderer. This and is, this is all, this is two days, days, three days. 
um, wow. a day later, I go to drive, <laughs> I go to drive to work and my car breaks down on the interstate. And I don't know if you've ever been broken down on a major interstate in California, but nobody stops. And I didn't have, I didn't have a cell phone and I didn't know um, that there were call boxes actually on the interstate every two miles or whatever. So I end up walking the wrong way a few miles. That's oh, horrible. Um, it's, it's like, I need a drink now just thinking about this. So yeah, so that's, uh, so that's kind of, that was the move to California. That's hell week. That's that first fire. So I get through that and then I, I find some pretty decent employment and I start playing again and, kind of go from there and like I said there's a lot of stories for in that two years of moving to Southern California to moving out of Southern California that could it really could fill a, an entire you know a novel and a book and matter of fact I'm coming I've been writing it for years but I, I moved to we'll do a we'll do a follow-up episode and get some of those stories yeah 100 percent they're it, you can't make some of them up. Um, you might've heard, I, I did a, the, the poll thing this week. There's some stories in that poll that are from, from that time in San Diego. Yeah. Yeah. I saw that. <laughs> a lot of those are very true. So I, I end up moving to Arizona. Get, let's get back on track here a little bit, fellas. I, mean, I moved to Arizona. I start working at a golf course. I love it. And while I was at that golf course, there was an assistant pro there, a teaching pro that I, I end up making, you know, he's one of my best friends and he played professional golf all over the world. He played in Asia. He played in Australia. He played on a little bit on the PGA tour, um, Canada, et cetera, et cetera. And I started playing golf with him every single day and just emptied my pockets every single day for a year. <laughs> I learned so much from playing with this guy. By the end of a year, I was pretty fucking good. And I remember one of the last rounds we played, I actually, it was the only time I never beat him. And I tied. We both got 69s. I still have the scorecard. Um, but it was the first time I'd ever elevated that much where he looked at me and he said, you should be, you should be playing professionally. You shouldn't be sitting behind a counter, folding sweaters, you know, doing monthly inventories. You should be out playing somewhere. So from that point forward, what I would do since I didn't have the pedigree of junior golf and college golf, it was really hard to get investors and sponsorships and stuff like that. So what I would do is I would work um, all winter. I would get, part-time jobs, um, full-time jobs. I worked two, three, sometimes four jobs at a time. And for an entire winter, I would save enough cash to where I could play mini tour golf all summer. And I did that for probably about four years. And well, yeah, and by the end of every summer, I was completely broke. Even if I had a good, um, you know, a good season, it, it didn't matter. Mini tour golf is an absolute grind. Um, I, I think it's, it's one of the minor, you know, as far as professional sports go, it's minor league is so much harder than, you know, people talk about minor league baseball and how they stay in shitty motels and 
get these small stipends of money to eat on. Yeah, that's that's great. Try paying for all that yourself and sometimes <laughs> sleeping in your car because you didn't realize that there was a convention in the town that you traveled to and there was no hotels anywhere available that you could afford. Um, or getting down to scraping change together so you could eat off of a dollar mini for a night. Um, so, so, Billy, that's when you got into being a golf pro and that lasted for obviously till the last couple of years. So my last job, I worked at a country club, kind of did everything at this country club. I worked inside. I was an assistant at the desk and then I worked outside sometimes. Um, I was one of those guys that when you, you know, you went to work for the club, I did everything. I scheduled the outside service guys. I didn't really even have, I think I was, my last title there was assistant golf professional, but really did everything and um, was really plugged in. But I absolutely, the last two years of that employment despised it and wanted to do something different and wanted to get out. And I started trying to um, actively get terminated. And the more I did that, (laughs) the, the, more I got promoted. It was like, <laughs> it was not, it was not unlike the movie office space where literally I would do shit where every single week I went to work for a year, that's going to get me fired. And I would get a pat <laughs> on the back. I stopped calling people, Mr. And Mrs. This is an old school um, country club in Scottsdale, Arizona it's old and its membership was the average age was 65. Um, they were all old money. And one of the rules there was you call people, Mr. And Mrs. Whatever. I stopped. I, call, I started calling people by their first name all the time. <laughs> and I would hear my, my boss's office was adjacent to the golf shop and members would walk in and I'd say, Hey Bob, how we doing today? And I would hear my boss in his office go, <sighs> <laughs> and it 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 had the opposite effect it endeared me to the membership they didn't hate it they loved it and i became this weird kind of guy and other people would try it and they would get fired and i'd be like fuck man i'm that's what i want that's awesome <laughs> there's an, an example of it is i i almost got in a fight with a member in the parking lot one day and I love this story because this is a, it's, it's an example. <laughs> this story is, it happened every day for a year. So imagine that first. So one day I go to work early and I'm hitting balls on the range and I've got a case of the shanks and I've got my headphones on and I'm trying to figure it out. And I didn't see oh, shit, yeah, awful. There. So these members, they went by to the 10th tee and I didn't see them stop and watch me hit balls. So they go play the back nine. I went to work when they came in, one of them, his name was, his first name was Terry. There's no way he's listening to this. So his name is Terry Monroe. So Terry Monroe goes, he says something. I say, Hey, how's your rain? How's your round today, guys? And he goes, is better, better than what you were showing out on the range. And I said, what'd you say? And he goes, and I don't remember what he said. I remember just going completely blank and being so mad. And I, and, and I said, why don't you go fuck yourself? Or so, you know, 
<laughs> and he came back with, what do you, what'd you say to me? And we're chest to chest two adult men, you know, about ready to go. And these two other two members separate us. He goes to walk to his car. Now here's what I didn't know about Terry Monroe was years before this, he had had a spinal surgery. Okay. A life, a life threatening spinal surgery. And he walked with a limp. I didn't know that. And I said, nice fucking limp as he walked away. <laughs> and he turned around and he said, what you fucking say to me? And I said, you heard me. And we started again and we start pushing and shoving. They separate us. He goes to his car. I go back to work and I said, that's it. Because his best friend was the president of the board. <laughs> right. So this is it. So like, I, finally, I'm out. I finally crossed the line. I finally did this. So I go home. I come to work the next day. And I decide I'm going to get ahead of it. Because I don't like surprises and whatever. So I go right into my boss's office, the head pro. And I told him the story. We shut the door. I said, I, got, I have a story to tell you. You're going to hear about it today. I'm sure of it. And I just wanted to tell you what happened <clears throat> before it kind of gets to you. So shut the office door. I tell him the whole story. And I say, you know, we're yelling at each other. We're, you know, hurling curse words back and forth. We almost got into a fight. And I'm sure he's going to tell, you know, his buddy that's the president of the board. And, and this is probably going to be my last day. So I want to thank you for joining you know, <laughs> me so long. And right, I'm already writing my resignation. And he says to me, you know, <clears throat> I don't condone what you did. But... That guy's been a real fucking prick lately, so good for you. <laughs> he looked in the eyes and he goes, I didn't tell you that. And I said, okay. And I walked out of his office like, what the fuck happened? So here comes the general manager of the club walking down the hallway. Billy, I need to talk to you. Yes, I got a second chance. Second chance at redemption. I'm going to get fired by the GM. So he invites me into his office. We go in there. I tell him the whole story. You know, Terry Monroe and I, he called my swing shit. So I told him to fuck off. And we go back. <laughs> and I'm going to throw down on this motherfucker. But I'm like, I shouldn't hit him. He's going to call the cops. I'm sure of it if I hit him. And I think he's thinking the same thing. He's going to get his membership revoked if he hits me. You know, we go back and forth. And he says, you know, I don't condone your actions. But that guy's been kind of a prick lately. And good for you. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on? I almost got into a fist fight with a member and I'm being congratulated for it. I'm like, hell. So I literally walk out of his office and here comes the president of the club walking down the stairs. Billy, I need to talk to you real quick. And I'm like, I'm going to get fired by the membership. That's fucking awesome. And it never happens to anybody. We go into this. We go into this boardroom. <laughs> shut the door. I swear to God, you guys, this is a true story. I tell him the story. Okay, he goes, "What happened yesterday?" I tell him, okay, we were in the, we were out there at the golf cart, and he said my swing was shit, and I said, "Fuck you." He said, "Fuck you." And I said, "Nice, nice limp." And he said, "He said, he said what?" <laughs> and I said, "I told him nice fucking limp," and he goes, "Oh." 
And I said, uh, what? And he goes, he didn't hear that. And I said, why? And he goes, oh, you didn't know. Terry Terry was almost died like three years ago and he had life-saving spinal surgery. And you told him, nice fucking limp, really? And I go, holy shit, I didn't know that whole story. And he goes, okay, I'm going to ignore that, that you told me that. I'm never going to tell Terry that you said that. He thought you just called him an asshole. And I was like, oh, okay. So he says, look, I don't condone your behavior, but Terry's been kind of a prick lately. So you stood up for yourself. Good for you. Slap me on the back. Sounds like a, yeah, no. like a joke. Took my hand, slapped me on the back, and said, man, you're the best. And we walked down the hallway laughing about it. And inside, I'm going, you got to be fucking kidding me. And I went I went out, I volunteered to pick the range. I hated picking the range, but I needed to get away for a half an hour. I went and sat in this range picker going, what the hell just happened? And you can write that. And for the next year, I did stupid shit like that. I, I put dog shit in a member's bag one day. <laughs> you can literally do no wrong. You call the guy no. that had spinal surgery, <laughs> just walk on your fucking limb, and you can't yeah. even get fired. Yeah, this guy. So we just wrapped up part one of our conversation with Billy Grant. Part two will be released in the next couple of days. Please be on the lookout for that. If you haven't already, please subscribe, leave us a review. Appreciate it. Thanks. Listen, understand this black exit, we really have uh faces for a podcast yes yeah you guys aren't youtubing this are you no god no <laughs> people don't people don't want to see us no we're we're better, we're more like the Wizard of Oz, just behind the curtain, much better. Um, usually we have this is a little unprecedented. Usually we have like three or four bourbons before we start recording, but because it's the middle of the workday, we've had not, we've had not... ten. Edit <laughs> edit the to... shit out of it. <laughs> Well, yeah, we've got to, oh, we've yeah. got to edit no, Chris's to, voice out, so we've got a lot of work to do. <laughs> do you want us to edit Terry out or to keep Terry, keep Terry in there? I don't give a fuck. Actually, I think he's from the Chicago yeah. area, too. Or, I don't know. That's awesome. Yeah, Billy, just to be honest with you, we're actually having Terry on next week. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's funny? It took, it took him and I about three months to be able to be in the same like vision of each other i would <laughs> see him and i would just like slap that guy and, I would turn. and he was doing the same thing he'd walk up and see me and turn and walk the other way like, oh man